Welcome to part two of our college football show. Alabama was stunned by Texas A&M and lost its number one ranking. Now another SEC Titan, the Georgia Bulldogs, puts its top ranking in the line in the late window. There will be a stiff test between the hedges as Kentucky comes to town with its first 6-0 mark in 71 years. Will the Wildcats claw their way to an upset of the Dogs? Our guys look at the SEC battle as well as TCU traveling to Norman to meet the powerhouse Oklahoma Sooners. We'll find out about this and more shortly here on the BetUS College Football Show. Welcome into the BetUS College Football Show. It is week seven, and on Thursdays, we hit the afternoon and evening slate of games. Hopefully, everybody is doing well. It's good to have so many people in early. If you would, go ahead and like the video for us. We want to get you to subscribe to the channel as well. We hit 1,500. We hit one goal, knocked out of the way, and now we are headed towards a million. I can I can feel it in my bones already. <laughs> so, uh, with that said, let me go ahead and introduce our experts. Every single week they join us. We're going to start off on the right side. Kyle Hunter, he is our uh, professional, award-winning handicapper. You can follow him on Twitter, at Kyle Hunter Picks. Kyle, you feeling good this morning? You got some winners for us? I sure hope so, Gary. Uh, uh, well, we got a lot of games to cover here today, and uh, I'm thinking optimistically. I am as well. And, of course, on the left, Parker Fleming, our statistical analyst, our numbers guy. Uh, I call him the numerical guru. You can follow him on Twitter at Stats of War. Parker, you had a good week last week. I feel good about your picks this week as well. How about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about some of these games to talk about today. There's a couple of big ones that I'm just, you know, the picks are fun, but there's just some football games this weekend that I'm really excited about. So, um, yeah, let's get to it. I'm with you. All right, let's go ahead and dive into the things that you need to know. First off, you can use the promo code to sign up over at BetUS where the game begins. And that promo code is NCAAF2021. There is a link in the description, but it's going to give you 125% sign-up bonus up to $2,500, and it is sportsbook exclusive. I'd say it every time. I can't stress how great of a deal this is. You need to take advantage of it while you can. The link in the description, if you click that, you can go ahead and it'll toss in the promo code for you. You don't even have to remember the actual promo code. Just click that link in the description. But if you do want to enter it by yourself, you can do that. You can go to betus.com and enter the promo code again, NCAAF2021. Like I said, we have hit 1,500 subscribers, so we are moving in the right direction. We appreciate all of you that have done so already and all of you that are watching the show, jumping into the chat, etc. If you would, go ahead and like the video for us. Make sure that you are subscribed to the channel. Hit that notification bell so you know when we go live every single week. I'll go ahead and tell you. It's Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and Thursdays at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. Wednesdays are the early slate games. Thursdays are the late slate games. And we are going to provide you with the games that we see the most value in, along with the most interesting and biggest games of the weekend. So, uh, with that said, jump into the comments. We've already got several in there. Heath is there. Uh, Timothy, Secret Machines, etc., if you have any games that we don't hit, and you will see them on the screen here momentarily, but if there are any games that we don't hit that you want an opinion on, we're going to hit that. We've got a Q&A at the end of the show. So go ahead and dive in with whatever games you want. We will uh, curate them at the end, and we will give you uh, whatever thoughts we have on these games, maybe why we didn't find value in it, or if maybe we have a lean, et cetera. So 
Uh, let's go to the recap. The records thus far on the season. We had a good week last week. Really, really good week last week. Uh, went 13-7 and seven overall. So here is our totals for the year. I am sitting at 23 wins, 19 losses, and two pushes on the year. Kyle is 20 and 12, 20 wins, 12 losses. And Parker, 24 wins, 28 losses, and two pushes. Kyle is moving in the right direction. I am all about it. All about it. So let's uh, let's go ahead and dive into the first game here. Oh, let me remind you, I am your host, Gary. I never say that at the beginning. I probably should. But you can follow me on Twitter, at GaryWCE. First game on the board. We're going back to the noon slate. We didn't want to overload everybody on Wednesday's show, but we have a 12 p.m. Eastern time game. Florida heads down to Baton Rouge to take on the LSU Tigers. Florida in 11.5-point road favorite. Total of 59.5 here. Guys, uh, LSU won this game. It was the shoe game last year, 37-34. to 34. Florida is 3-1-1 one, and one against the spread their last five against LSU. Uh, Florida thus far, 3-3 three and three against the spread on the season. LSU 2-4. and four. At Florida is 0-5 against the spread the last five on the road, however. Uh, LSU 4-1 and one, straight up their last five at home against Florida. But these two teams do not look like what we are used to them looking like thus far this season. So I don't know how much the betting trends even necessarily matter in a game like this. Uh, Keshawn Butte is out. Uh, the cornerback, Eli Ricks, is out. Derek Stingley is out, all for LSU. LSU, uh, only 42% rushing in their last three games. They have basically just given up running the football. Guys, this is uh, – it, it's shocking to look at these numbers for LSU. Kyle, I want to start with you on it. I I don't know what to make of this LSU situation. There is all this talk. The the seat is actually flaming right now for Ed Orgeron. I, I don't know how they can get this thing turned around. However, they were kind of in this same position last year when they were going to Gainesville, and they came out with a win. So give me give me your thoughts on the Tigers and the Gators. Yeah, I mean, I think it might be easier to say who's left healthy than it is to say who's out for LSU at this point. I mean, it's uh, we hate to see such injury issues, certainly. Um, and Orgeron at this point, without Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, hasn't been any good. You know, um, you know they had that one really good season, a two and four ATS this year, three and three straight up. Certainly very disappointing for LSU fans who thought they'd have a nice bounce back this year. And what if I told you that LSU really could have been a lot worse if it weren't for fumble luck so far this year? They fumbled <laughs> the ball eight times, and they've lost one of those eight fumbles. And their opponents have fumbled three times, and they've recovered all three of them. So on each side, they, they've been very lucky when it comes to the, the bouncing ball. Um, you know, to me, Florida virtually had a bye week last last week. You know, when you play Vandy, it's, it's basically a bye week. And uh, that's not supposed to be a Vandy knock, but, you know, it's just the state that they're in right now. Um, LSU gave up 7.7 yards per play against Kentucky in a blowout loss last week. Look, we know Kentucky has improved offensively, but uh, that was a really poor showing from LSU. And certainly they're thin in the secondary, but, uh, you know, that team didn't show very much fight last week. I would think Florida wants revenge quite a bit in a game like this. You know, that was a, a tough way to lose last year. Florida had 8.2 yards per play last year to 4.9 for LSU. So certainly a misleading final score in that game. LSU did pull off the stunner there in the swamp. Um, Florida first in the country in yards per carry so far this year. I don't see LSU stopping them here. And with LSU being so one-dimensional, my lean certainly is to Florida in this one. 
they they have certainly leaned on Butte in the passing game more than any other player. And I don't know what they do with him being out in this situation. LSU, you said that Florida is number one in the country in yards per carry. LSU is giving up 6.1 yards per rush thus far. Their defense is having problems stopping the run. Parker, uh, let, let me get you in here. I All of these stats favor Florida here. I, I don't even know necessarily. I mean, my number on this is actually Florida minus 17, uh, and that was before Butte went out. Tell me, tell me what you think about this game. I think I agree with that 17 line. My raw numbers kind of have this at, uh, at at LSU or Florida by 13 rather, um, and 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 really that that's kind of inflated by last week against Kentucky. Uh, LSU did some reputation management at the end of that game. Uh, Kentucky went up two touchdowns earlier, put the brakes on, and played prevent defense. And um, LSU was able to take advantage of that a little bit there at the end to make it look like they had anything going on offense at all. So their offense is 12th in, in EPA, um, but their defense uh, is just uh, uh, not the LSU defense of old. 114th overall, 111th against the pass, uh, uh, 89th against the rush, and in rushing success rate, 116th. Um, you know, I, I can't imagine how many LSU defensive alumni are in the NFL right now looking at this team and thinking, what's what's gone wrong? Who Who is this defense? Um, so I do think that Max Johnson is, is more than capable as a quarterback, but Florida is better against the pass, 23rd in EPA per pass defense than the rush. And so I really expect Florida to, um, knowing, you know, Dan Mullen, knowing that they have such good rushing game, 16th in the nation, I do expect actually they'll attack this LSU secondary and try and work on getting Emory Jones going uh, and kind of figuring out some of that downfield threat for what they hope is a rematch with Alabama and the uh, SEC championship, also with uh, Georgia in the, in the coming weeks. So um, I, I think Florida will, will, will workshop a little bit of offense, but yeah, I, I just can't imagine LSU's defense is going to put up much of a fight here. I I tend to agree. Max Johnson feels like he's been running for his life. The offensive line has not been great. Uh, they can't run. I mean, this is uh, this is strange. This is definitely strange. By the way, I had uh, Blue Tuna Tiger on Twitter send me LSU's current uh, PUP list. It is. I mean, it's full. Uh, defensive tackles out. Defensive ends out. Nice. Wide receivers out. Running backs. Remember, they lost Miles Brennan before the season started. Uh, this is this is turning in a bad bad way for LSU. Uh, Ed Orgeron last week, and, and this is part of the reason why I am going to go with Florida here, and we'll make the official pick in just a minute, but Ed Orgeron said after the game last week that he was surprised by Kentucky's running game, and Kentucky is the number one rushing team in the SEC. Like, I, I, I don't understand how you could be surprised at that. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, so I, I, will, I will certainly side with Florida here. Let's make it an official pick. I'm rolling Florida minus the 11 and a half. I, I got this at 10 initially. It's up to 11 and a half. I'm, I'm perfectly fine. Anything under two touchdowns. I think that Florida is going to roll these guys. Uh, this is just not a good situation in Baton Rouge right now. And I don't know how LSU gets it turned around. Now, I could absolutely be wrong because we saw this last year in the same spot. Alabama went in and beat LSU 55 to 17. And LSU turns around and goes to Florida with only 40-something scholarship players and gets a win. But I, I don't see how they do it this year. Uh, these lines are not the same as they were last year, and I think Florida is absolutely going to run all over them. That is the official play for me. The other two are going to pass on it. That's all good. I will ride solo, my friends. Let's move into the 3.30 Eastern time game. We got another SEC burner here. Kentucky heads to Georgia. 
number 11 against number one. And we got ourselves a 22 and a half point spread. Georgia favored at home. The total 44 and a half. Georgia won this 14 to three last year. And they won by three touchdowns the year before and held Kentucky to zero points. Now that was in a, just an absolute monsoon, but Kentucky has covered two straight. Now uh, they have not scored a touchdown, but they have covered two straight. Uh, the wide receiver, uh, Ali, is out for Kentucky. I think you got two starting defensive linemen that are going to have issues and not being able to play. Uh, there's not really a stat that you can find with Kentucky that, that will give them any kind of an advantage here other than Kentucky is the number one success rate offense in the SEC right now. Georgia, of course, is number three, but Kentucky's at 51.93% and Georgia at 50.51%. Uh, but when you start to look at the defenses, there's a, a whole massive gap between these two. Uh, Parker, I want to get you in first. Uh, you know, tell me, can Will Levis do anything against this defense to give them any kind of a shot in this game? I don't know, man. He's going to have to. Kentucky's only 67 or uh, 62nd in EPA per pass, which uh, let me tell you, last year would they would have taken that absolutely and said, yeah, that's an improvement. And so Levis has been better, but. Uh, Georgia is absolutely going to stop Chris Rodriguez and 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 make Will Levis beat them. And I, I'm I'm worried about that if I'm Kentucky. Um, Georgia is 39th. Uh, excuse me. Kentucky is 39th in EPA per rush on offense. Georgia is 14th on defense. Of course, they're first against the pass as well. So really confident uh, kind of about their back seven. Um, back six, and I think that they're really going to commit uh, to heavy boxes and make Kentucky dial something up and beat them. Um, yeah, if, if I'm looking at my stats, there's really not anything that gives Kentucky an edge at all. Um, maybe that Georgia's rushing game is relatively worse, but Georgia's been playing so much garbage time. You know, they're 84th in EPA per rush, but they're just around the clock out. I don't put a ton of stock in that, whereas Kentucky's rush defense is 24th. Kentucky's by no means a bad team, but I do not. I do think this is one of those classic SEC years where we see a, a good team who is not in the same stratosphere as some of the great teams. And I think that's Kentucky's problem. They're very good. They're, they're, they're a little more two-dimensional on offense, but generally the way they match up is – uh, they line up against people uh, almost kind of like a triple option team. They beat them with the rush game, and then they free up some space for Levis. I don't know that they're going to be able to beat Georgia in the rush game uh, at, often at all. Looking at rushing success rate specifically, Kentucky's 13th in offensive rushing success rate. Georgia is third in defensive rushing success rate. So that's going to be, uh, you know, can Chris Rodriguez replicate what he's been doing this season? I will say that I think Kentucky's defense is a little bit better. Beginning of the season, you know, they gave up. Um, 35 to Missouri. They had that awful 28-23 game against UT Chat, um, but they've held. You know, they held South Carolina. They're awful to 10, but they held Florida to 13. They held LSU to to uh, effectively seven um, and, and a couple garbage time touchdowns. So this defense is definitely playing better, but it really comes down to the rush game for me here. I I tend to agree. Now, one thing that they might have an advantage in is this might be the best wide receiver that Georgia has had to play to date, and that includes what Clemson throws out there. Uh, Wondell Robinson's really good, really good. So if maybe Will Levis can find a hole in the defense, not that I think that it's there, uh, that's a possibility, right? And maybe you can get a, a quick score, confuse the defense somehow, and make that work. Kyle, I I mean, both of us can't find anything. Is there anything that you can find that might give Kentucky a, a shot uh not necessarily to cover, because I think that kind of depends on what Kirby Smart wants to do in this game. Does he want to make a statement, or does he just want to get out of here with a win? I, what, what do we look at with this game? 
yeah, I want to try to find something here. Uh, road dogs of seven points or more uh, with a total of 45 and a half or lower are 60.2% ATS in the last 15 years in college football. It's a really big sample size. Kentucky fits that. I can't bet them. You know, having said that, I just don't think how many how many points are they going to score here? How many points do we need Kentucky to score versus what can they score in this one? How amazing is Georgia's defense? I mean, this defense is just tremendous. We say that every week, but I have to start out by saying that every week. First in yards per play allowed despite playing the 15th toughest schedule in the country so far this year. So they have been excellent all year. Tremendous stuff. They've only allowed 14 plays of 20 yards or more in six games. This is a Georgia defense that has been fantastic all year. Both teams play really slowly. That's why we see the tempo, uh, the uh, total that we do, 115th and 117th in tempo. Kentucky has fumbled the ball 12 times this year. They've lost six of those. You can't fumble like that against this Georgia team. So no big mistakes if they want to have any chance at all. Um, you know, I, I would say Kentucky converting on 45.2% of their third downs so far this year, but Georgia only allowing 27.6% on third down. So something has to give in that matchup. Uh, I think the only thing Kentucky really has going for them here is the big spread. You know, can they stay within that spread? Obviously, the spread is the great equalizer. Um, I can't bet Kentucky in this one just because I I can't trust them to score very many points on Georgia. I tend to agree with you. I tend to agree. There's I don't see any value with this line. Uh, And with that said, we're not going to have an official play on it. But I will remind everybody, we want to hear your opinion on it. We've already got a couple of guys. Heath said he's staying away. Steven said he likes Georgia. We did see this just a couple of weeks ago. Last time game day went to Athens was two weeks ago, and Arkansas came into town riding high. That offense, after going to Georgia and getting blanked, put up 51 on Ole Miss. Like, I, I don't know what to make of this. Georgia uh, covers. They do a good job. They don't allow teams to score. I don't know what to make from it. So you leave your picks in the comments. We want to hear your opinion. With that said, we're going to move into another 3.30 p.m. Eastern time game. Western Kentucky heads to Old Dominion. This one might not have the pizzazz that the last two have had, but there is value here, we believe. Western Kentucky, a 12-and-a-half-point road favorite, total of 66-and-a-half here. I don't think we're going to spend a ton of time on this. Western Kentucky won the last meeting in 2019. They did not play last year, obviously. Old Dominion. Did not play last year, but Western Kentucky won that game 20 to three. Now, that was a really good Western Kentucky defense in 2019, but not a very good offense. They've kind of, they've kind of flipped it around. Now they've got a really good offense, but a not great defense. I, Western Kentucky is five and one straight up and four and two against the spread against Old Dominion. Kyle, I'm going to start with you on it. We have been riding Western Kentucky because we we saw value early. And, you know, things are starting to catch up just a little bit here. What do you think about Bailey Zapp in this offense? Well, what, I think they're a tremendous offense. I mean, if, if you only want to talk about offense, Western Kentucky is tremendous. If you want to talk about defense, they're not so tremendous, obviously. <laughs> um, you know, Western Kentucky, I took the season win total over, and they need to win this game because they had a really tough schedule to start the season, and now it gets a lot easier. So now here's their chance. Um, they're throwing the ball on like 67% of their offensive plays. Uh, No big surprise there. This is a Western Kentucky team that's going to look to throw it around every single game. Um, Old Dominion played that really good game last week against Marshall, where it was a very close contest. I still don't think Old Dominion's actually very good, though, and I certainly lean toward laying the points here with Western Kentucky. 
Western Kentucky is fifth in the tempo in the country and second in success rate. Uh, now their defense is 127th in success rate, so not great. Um, the ultra fast paced offense, I think, has kind of hurt the defense. Um, they get tired a little bit quicker. They're relatively thin, pretty inexperienced. Still, it's hard to see Old Dominion keeping pace here because I feel like I know that Western Kentucky is going to score. So can Old Dominion keep pace? I don't think they can here. I lean to the over in this game. The only concern I have here, uh, some potential for some wind in this game and even a small chance of rain. So you'll want to monitor the forecast here. My numbers certainly suggest playing an over and Western Kentucky is a strong lean, but wind or rain would hurt Western Kentucky here, the team that wants to throw it around all the time. So uh, keep an eye on that. Old Dominion 122nd in yards per play on offense. Uh, they're likely going to run the football a lot here. I wouldn't think they'll try to air it out. The Hilltoppers haven't really been able to stop anyone so far this year, but Old Dominion is clearly the worst FBS team they've played so far this season. So I'm going to lean toward Western Kentucky, and I also kind of like the over, and I might bet this over depending on what the weather looks like closer to the game. Ed, the interesting that you brought that up. Uh, look, according to Massey's strength of schedule, uh, Old Dominion has played the number 110 strength of schedule in the country, Western Kentucky the number 59. Like this is a big downgrade for Western Kentucky. Uh, I think it's a shot for them to open up that offense. Now, obviously, we got to pay attention to the forecast here. Uh, Parker, I got. I know you may not think that this stuff matters. We'll see because I do want to hear your actual like efficiency numbers and whatnot. But Western Kentucky number six in twenty plus yard plays, Old Dominion number eighty seven. Their offense, even against that weak schedule, just has not been able to put up very much. Western Kentucky has been able to put up a lot, even against Big Ten defenses. So I feel pretty good in that metric. Uh, go ahead and and tell me, you know, I think you feel the same way I do here. Western Kentucky looks like a lock. Sands, obviously, the weather stuff. But I, I want to know what you think about the Hilltoppers here. Bailey Zapp has been excellent moving up from from Houston Baptist uh, there. And, and you know, it's, it's, there was some skepticism as to whether he could actually do that. Um, but he is uh, third overall in, in total EPA in the FBS this year, right behind CJ Stroud and Grayson McCall. So he's certainly been putting up some big numbers. When I look at this matchup, I do like to consider the fact that Old Dominion has played three straight one score games against teams that are that are um, obviously better than them, I think is fair to say. Uh, Buffalo, one point loss, UTEP, a seven point loss, and then a loss to Marshall in overtime by seven points last week. So I do think that this old Dominion team has some, you know, whatever old school cliche this is, fight in them a little bit. And so they're <laughs> they're interesting to me for that uh, standpoint, but they're generally not really good at anything. Their defense is, is 58th against the pass, 45th against the rush. Again, their schedule's been so weak that that those numbers don't necessarily um uh, I don't I don't think they're that good on either case um, in terms of uh, Western Kentucky's offense eight in EPA per pass 17th in EPA per rush but they are rushing only 27.2 percent of early downs so they are uh, slinging the ball uh, that's a technical term there and so <laughs> ultimately I think that Western Kentucky is going to be able to pass early and often one statistical oddity that I really like just to kind of quantify Western Kentucky's explosive ceiling in in terms of um, quality possession rate, they uh, they are second. So 70.5% uh, of their non-garbage time possessions, they are getting across the 40. But they're 56th in points per quality possession, 4.42 uh, points per quality possession. So that kind of suggests that when they're getting big plays and scoring, uh, they're, they're getting, you know, they're obviously getting touchdowns there. But when they're kind of getting across the 40 and they have a little bit less space to work in, 
uh, maybe that their offense is not as good. And so I only bring that up because Old Dominion is 12th in net field position. Um, they're, they're eighth in starting field position on offense. They're 38th in starting field position on defense. So maybe there's a world where through special teams or through defense, uh, Old Dominion can kind of slow down this offense. But I think everything that I look at here and how much I weight pass versus rush and how consistent Western Kentucky has been the last couple of uh, games this season, I think I'm going to go with, with Western Kentucky here. I am going to side with you. I like the Hilltoppers in this spot. So let's go ahead and make it an official play. I like Bailey Zapp. I like what they're doing. The official pick, Western Kentucky, minus 12 and a half for Parker and myself. Uh, this is, you know, obviously we run into rain. We got wind, all that kind of stuff that could certainly cause an issue. So pay attention to the forecast. But, I mean, I like this at less than two touchdowns. I actually had Western Kentucky minus 17 uh, as far as my line went. So that much value, I mean, it makes sense to me to go ahead and take it. I'm going to ride with it. Moving on, we got a Big Ten battle. Iowa coming off of a massive, massive win over Penn State. Purdue heads down to Kinnick. Iowa favored by 11 and a half. This is a 3.30 p.m. Eastern time game. Uh, 42 and a half is our total here. Purdue won this last year, 24 to 20, and I don't know that Iowa has lost. No, no, no. They lost a, a game right after the Northwestern. But either way, one of only two losses that Iowa had last year. And then they got everything turned around. Purdue is coming off of a bye. Purdue 5-1 and one against the spread their last six against Iowa. They are 3-1 and one straight up the last four. It seems kind of insane when you think about it. But Jeff Brom can scheme up some stuff against this defense. And this might be a styles make fights kind of deal. Both teams are averaging less than three yards per rush. Both defenses are giving up less than four yards per rush. The Purdue defense is actually not that bad. It's led by defensive end uh, George Karloftis. And, I mean, they're the number 32 SP-plus defense in the country. It's shocking when you think about it. I I don't know what to make of this because just looking at rankings, I was number two in the AP poll right now. Obviously, that is not a rating I, I don't know what to make of it right now. <laughs> uh, you think Iowa is the significantly better team, but they have not had success in this matchup. Let's go on and start off with you, Parker. I, you know, you would like Iowa in this spot, especially less than two touchdowns against a team that doesn't appear that they can score lately. But Brom has kind of had their number here lately. So give me give me your thoughts here. This one is is really interesting, and I be, would be really tempted to go Purdue here because you kind of have a letdown spot against Iowa, and you kind of factor in last week before Sean Clifford went out against Iowa, the Nittany Lions are up 17 point, uh, 70 to, 17 to 3, and then they went on to lose that game when Clifford went out, and the wheels just absolutely spun out. So Penn State had a great game plan, and the injuries there, and then Iowa made some halftime adjustments. So I, I, I again think that Iowa is better than their numbers. They're 113th on offense, second on EPA per uh, play in defense. But you're right, Purdue's defense is actually sneakily really, really good this year. 12th in raw EPA per play, their third in defensive success rate allowed. Um, one thing that I do think is 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 uh, worrisome, if I was going to bet this one, is I would look at how Iowa scores, which is they force you into turnovers or they get big special teams plays and they get short fields because their offense is bad. Um, 
Purdue on offense, 111th in starting field position on defense, 63rd in starting field position allowed. And so that uh, compared to Iowa being, you know, fourth on defense and second on offense makes me very nervous that the wheels could come off of this really quickly, um, whether that's, you know, Iowa's uh, defense inducing turnovers or if there's some special teams that is getting captured in there. Um, and so the the recipe to beat Iowa, I think, is is kind of an explosive offense that also minimizes variance through turnovers and special teams. And it doesn't appear that Purdue, they, they have some explosive offense with Brom at the helm, but it doesn't appear they have enough there. And it appears that they have struggled with kind of field position generally. So this one is um, makes me nervous. I, I'd, I'd be interested in Purdue if this number got a little bit bigger as kind of a letdown spot for Iowa and Iowa just doesn't score very much. But the field position difference, I don't, I don't know that I can in good conscience put money against Iowa uh, here. Uh, we talk about the field position. We talk about turnovers. It looks like O'Connell is going to be the quarterback for Purdue. On the season, he's got four touchdowns and five interceptions. That is not a very good ratio. <laughs> so, uh, Kyle, you know, I want to get you in here. Obviously, the total is is really low here, 42.5. Purdue is only averaging .164 points per play in their last three games. They have not been able to score even against some of the dregs of the Big Ten. I, I don't know I don't know what to make of it. Obviously, they've played some pretty good teams. Obviously, a defense at Notre Dame is is – feisty they can do some things but they have not put up points this kind of feels like an under uh but what could scare me off of it is the idea that iowa uh, could do what they did to maryland and and come up with short fields and be able to score in chunk plays and whatnot how do you feel about it yeah i mean uh, as you said um iowa gets out with a win against penn state last week but they certainly look like they were going to lose that game until clifford went out we know how good this Iowa defense is. Uh, PFF grades them second best in the country, just just barely behind Georgia. Um, Purdue is really reliant on the passing attack. Uh, we know Iowa's secondary is tremendous. They're very good every year. They're excellent this year. And Purdue, they have virtually no running game against anybody. So I wouldn't imagine they'll be able to run against Iowa. The Boilers are averaging 2.78 yards per carry so far this year and 1.92 yards per carry in their two Big Ten games. That was against Illinois and Minnesota. Um, this ain't Illinois or Minnesota here lining up against them. So <laughs> Purdue isn't going to be able to run the football on Iowa. So the question is, what can they do throwing? You know, Bell is a playmaker. Iowa should have some good coverages ready. Um, I think this Purdue defense is really underrated by most people. You guys talked about it a little bit, too. Third in success rate on defense, uh, pretty shocking. Iowa 121st in the nation in yards per play on offense. Obviously, if you're starting on the other team's uh, side of the field, it's a lot easier to score. Though the biggest concern I have about this under is the turnovers. You know, what if um, Purdue throws a pick in their own end, or uh, you know, there's just a free touchdown there from a 10 yard, uh, 10 yard drive? That's certainly my concern with this low of a total. I think if there's at least somewhat normal. Uh, circumstances with where everybody starts in field position. I think this is a good underplay. I also lean toward Purdue in this game. I think that Purdue can keep this at least pretty close. And this also fits the uh, road dogs of seven points or more with a total of 45 and a half or lower, 60.2% in the last 15 years in college football. So while I wouldn't want to bet Kentucky, I would lean toward Purdue here thinking this will be a low scoring game. But the, the play I'm going to make here is the under one bonus here, sustained winds of 17 miles per hour, gusts as high as 25 miles per hour. Look, that it's two challenged offenses and two really good defenses and Purdue's passing attack probably even harder uh, with that kind of wind. So 
I'm going to take the under in this one. Uh, Secret Machines comes in. He said, trust in the Hawks, though Riley Moss is out the defensive back. Uh, he said, that's a killer. It, it is, but I think there are still plenty of good players, and, and that is a lot of just the scheme that, that Ferentz and Phil Parker are doing. So I uh, I will roll with you guys. I, I don't like it enough to make it an official play, but let's go ahead and do an official play here. Uh, this is going to be Kyle's. He is going to take the under 42 and a half, and I can't say that I disagree with it. I can't say that I disagree with it. This certainly seems like one of those kind of games. Uh, remember, we did have uh, a Purdue, not Purdue, excuse me, an Iowa win over Colorado State that was 24 to 14. That gets you the under, that would get you the cover, all kind of stuff. It seems seems like the same thing here. So uh, let me go ahead and take this time to remind everybody. Go ahead and like the video. I see uh, 23 people watching right now. We did have 29 a minute ago. We've only got 14 likes on the video. Go ahead and like the video for us. Tell us that you like the show. We like to hear about it. Uh, along with that, make sure you are subscribed to the channel. We just hit a goal of 1,500. We are shooting for more. We want to hit our next goal as well, so go ahead and do us a favor and subscribe to the channel. Hit the notification bell. We go live on Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern and Thursdays at 12 p.m. Eastern time as well. Of course, there's a lot of people that are jumping into the chat. You can go ahead and jump into the chat too. If you have a question for us, we're going to do a Q&A at the end of the show. If there's a game that we have not hit, then we are going to discuss it there. We'll, uh, we'll give you an opinion, even if we don't necessarily like a play on it. So, with that said, uh, oh, also, if you want to go and check out yesterday's show, that's where we discussed the early games. So, if you're asking about games that we discussed yesterday, you can just go back and check that one out. With that said, moving into the night slate, and we have another SEC tilt here. Alabama heads to Starkville to take on the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Alabama, a 17-and-a-half-point road favorite right now, total of 57-and-a-half. Alabama coming off of a loss. Uh, they did win last year 41 to nothing over Mississippi State. This is a different Mike Leach Bulldogs team this year, though. Uh, Drew Sanders, the linebacker, out again for Alabama. Uh, Alabama 5-1 and one against the spread their last six against Mississippi State. However, Bama is 3-5 and five against the number in their last eight road games. You got to wonder if maybe the uh, the Klanga Klanga, the Cowbells, are going to cause some problems for Alabama's communication again uh, because they have not looked good in Gainesville. They didn't look good at Kyle Field last week. Who knows what to expect in a night game in Starkville. Uh, you know, Mississippi State's only two and six against the spread in their last eight at home. I, I do wonder about this. Uh, State only had a 24% success rate against Alabama last year. Alabama's defense absolutely shut them down. And we thought before the season that Alabama's defense was going to be significantly improved over last year's unit. I don't know how much of that is the case. Uh, let me go ahead and start off. I'm going to get Parker in first. Coming off of a loss, normally Nick Saban teams are fired up and ready to get after it. They don't like the taste of losing. However, you are going into a very raucous atmosphere with all the cowbells, all the artificial noisemakers, and this is a pretty good Mississippi State team. This state team actually beat Texas A&M 26-22 at Kyle Field the week before Alabama went and lost to them. It, I don't know what to make of all of it. Give me, uh, give me your thoughts on the Bulldogs and the Tide here. Gary, the first rule of uh, college football is that the transitive property does not hold. If A beats B and B beats C, that doesn't mean that A is going to beat C. I always have to plug that there. Last week was a really um, – it was a funky game from Alabama. They had two early turnovers, which I kind of attribute to, you know, Texas A&M having a very good defense and being jacked up. 
And then basically Alabama went off and, and ripped uh, nine scoring drives on, on their next 10 drives. And their issue was really in the red zone. Inside of Texas A&M's 20, Alabama averaged a negative 0.058 EPA per play. They had 3.83 points per red zone trip. Um, and that's six times that they were inside the Alabama or the Texas A&M 20. So some, some red zone issues that I think will be um, – correctable. And then before I get to the stats, another football thing I noticed is that Jimbo Fisher last week ran a lot more motion and kind of isolated matchups. And, you know, he, he really hasn't done that in the past. Uh, I don't typically associate a lot of that with with a Mike Leach team trying to work to second level concepts by, you know, spacing guys out. I think that they're more so going to, you know, run run typical air raid, take what they give us. Um, Mississippi State is only passing on or rushing on 23.3% of early downs. So I, I don't expect that they'll be as creative in, in exploiting matchups as Alabama uh, or as Texas A&M was able to do against Alabama last week. Mississippi State, 23rd in EPA margin. They have a loss on their schedule that should not be a loss. And that um, is just uh, infernally annoying for so many reasons. But I do think that Alabama is is a uh, obviously a very good team. I think after a loss, they'll be amped up here. I have them in seventh in EPA margin. Uh, they're 23rd in field position on offense, whereas Mississippi State is 95th. The other thing, um, Alabama's had those red zone issues. Mississippi State's defense, 81st in points per quality possession at 4.36. So when you get into those short yardage situations close to the goal, Mississippi State's defense has been demonstrably worse. Um, on the flip side, if you look at where Mississippi State's value has come on offense, they're 12th in uh, percent of first downs on first and second down. They're 13th in the nation in early downs EPA. Alabama's defense, actually 76th in allowing first downs on, on first and second down. So uh, there's some opportunity for Mississippi State to really open things up in the early downs and see if they can hit a couple big ones. But I do think that, one, the motivation factor um, will really matter for Alabama. I do think Mississippi State's defense in kind of the, the red zone scoring opportunity is underwhelming. And I, I think that um, this is non, non-scientific, but I don't think Nick Saban likes Mike Leach very much. And I think that he would enjoy the opportunity to get his play calling right in the red zone. Uh, with Bill O'Brien and and maybe shut up some of the cowbells. So I'm I'm going to ride with Alabama here. Uh, hell, hell hath no fury like Nick Saban after a loss. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna ride with him again. At the last time that Nick Saban had two losses back to back in the regular season was 2007. So that that obviously not a great year. That was before the the whole run started in 2008. Uh, but I will I will let you guys know. I, I heard from a little birdie that Saban talked to Bill O'Brien this week and told him to run the damn ball when you get into the red zone. <laughs> That's what he told them. So I would imagine that they will stick with Brian Robinson. They will do some of that. Uh, Kyle, let me get you in here. Uh, you know, success rate, Mississippi State thus far on the season, over 50%, looking okay. Uh, but I have to assume that Saban, a secondary coach at heart, it, he has figured out this Mike Leach offense. And, you know, we heard it from Jimmy Lake and Chris Peterson and all those guys at Washington, when Leach was at Washington State, he did not delineate from the game plan. He knew, everybody knew what they were going to do every time out, and if you had a good enough defense to stop it, then you could do that. Do we think Alabama has that here? I do, yeah. Um, I think Peterson is a great one to bring up there because obviously they matched up against him really well every single year, even when it looked like Washington State had the upper hand. You know, Alabama looked like a well-oiled machine for most of the year. Then they tripped up last week. 
Um, you know, it's hard to look at um, past samples of how Nick Saban has done off loss because, frankly, they just haven't lost very much. So it's such a small sample size. You know, I don't, I don't know that it's worth too much. But I will say that Mississippi State doesn't even pretend to care about running the football. We know that 75.3% of their plays have been passing plays this year. And while I don't think this Alabama secondary is elite, they are pretty good. Um, and against a one-dimensional team, totally one-dimensional, I would expect them to have an improved pass rush as well. Um, you know, we saw Alabama's defense look really good against Ole Miss there, especially in the first half of that game. And that Ole Miss offense is far better than this Mississippi State offense. Obviously, they can run and throw. I think that Alabama was slowed down offensively last week but by an A&M defense that has a lot more talent than Mississippi State. I think Mississippi State is well-coached on defense, but they're not nearly as talented. Um, they're also 113th at preventing big plays, and they're 98th at PFF and tackling grade. Bama certainly has the playmakers to make them pay for poor tackling. Um, I think Alabama's in a really good bounce back spot here. Kind of wanted to take uh, first half, but the line came out a little higher than I wanted. So I'm going to go with the full game here on Alabama. I just think this is a good bounce back spot. A big difference in talent. Uh, very big talent discrepancy. Even A&M, who hadn't played very well, and I know they lost that game to Mississippi State, and I like that Parker brought up the transitive property. Um, <laughs> you know, the Mississippi State is not nearly as talented as Texas A&M. A&M was struggling going into that game. Um, Mississippi State at a big talent disadvantage. Alabama coming in extremely motivated. Uh, I like Alabama in this one. And now I do want to give some props to Zach Arnett. That 3-3-5 defense that State has run has actually been fairly successful this year. So could we see a possibility home game at night? All the clang of clang is going. Yes, you could certainly see State covering. Uh, but like you guys said, I, I tend to believe that this is a good bounce back spot for Alabama. I'm not going to play it, uh, but let's make it an official play for both of you. Alabama minus 17 and a half. Parker and Kyle both are going to ride with Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide, and I cannot fault them for that. Uh, we are going to move to another game, a Big 12 tilt. This is the big ABC night game, 6.30 p.m. Central, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. TCU heads to Norman, Oklahoma, and uh, the Sooners, a 13-and-a-half-point favorite right now. Uh, that line actually opened up at 12, so it's up a point-and-a-half. A uh, lot of talk out of Norman right now. The total is 65 on this, by the way. 33-14 to 14 win for Oklahoma last year. Oklahoma 5-1 and one against the spread their last six against TCU. They have won seven straight in the series. Oklahoma's offense you know, took off against Texas once they got uh, Caleb Williams in the game at quarterback. But this is still a team that has not beaten a single FBS team by more than a touchdown, and here they are, favored by nearly two touchdowns in this spot. I, You know, there's a lot that we can obviously bring up here. TCU looks like they've got some guys questionable to play in this game. I would assume that they will play. But, uh, but Max Duggan, Zach Evans, uh, Quentin Johnston, all going to be questionable for this one we'll see. There's a lot of media stuff that's going on about who's going to start. I would have to assume it's going to be Caleb Williams, but they have canceled all media availability in Norman until after the game. Don't think Lincoln Riley's very happy. Kyle, let me get you in here first. Uh, did last week's game kind of open up this offense to a point where they are at confident and better going forward? 
At first, I know that the guy on the other side over there, Parker, really knows TCU well, so he'll kind of be the cleanup hitter on this one, I guess. Um, <laughs> you know, listen to what he says about about this game because I know he knows TCU really well. Um, I, I know a Oklahoma fan that's a good friend of mine. He's like, you know, if they don't start Caleb Williams here, I think everybody riots. So I, I you know, I'm pretty sure Oklahoma uh, wants Caleb Williams here. You know, I think there was a different energy to their team there in the second half, and uh, Williams with. Uh, Really, really, you know, not just good play, but good leadership. I like the way they were playing in that game. You know, TCU is a, a tough team for me to figure out. So I'm looking forward to what Parker has to say here because this offense has been extremely efficient on both third down and in the red zone. They're 21 for 21 scoring in the red zone, 16 for 21 on touchdowns in the red zone. That's tremendous. 56.06% uh, on third down. I'd be curious if those were a lot of short third downs or not, but that's tremendous stuff. It seems weird for a Gary Patterson coach team to be this efficient on offense and be one, three and one against the spread because we think of them as such a good defense. Their defense is certainly disappointed, especially against the run 125th and success rate allowed. Uh, you know, this is an Oklahoma defense that's certainly much improved. They do still give up big plays. So that's the way you try to beat them. Uh, they rank 126th in the nation at preventing explosive plays. TCU is fourth in offensive explosiveness. Uh, that surprised me quite a bit. I think Duncan's had a really good season. I'm impressed with what he's done. Um, Oklahoma is 18th in defensive rushing success rate allowed. Usually TCU, pretty run-heavy team. So strength versus strength in that one. Um, can Duggan can Duggan move it well enough through the air here is kind of my question. Um, if I had to bet something in this game, I think I'd bet the over. Um, I think Oklahoma will be able to score on TCU, especially if Williams is the starter, like I assume he will be. And I think TCU can score enough with those big plays and their efficiency. So I lean to the over in this one. I've got nothing on the side here. Now, Parker, I'm going to bring you in here, but I, I hope that you understand. I will have to reel you in at some point. Otherwise, we could be here for two hours. So uh, this is, you know, TCU typically does not beat themselves, but they have, I mean, that defense has opened a lot of holes Oklahoma could certainly score, I mean, 60 by themselves if they wanted to, I feel like. But it, sometimes I do feel like in these big-time matchups, Gary Patterson saves a couple of things throughout the season that he's going to throw out in a game like this. Is there any possibility of that, or is this just what TCU is this season? Because this defense has, frankly, not been good. The defense is is a mess, um, and 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 it. Uh, I think the most uh, the most damning uh, part of it is that TCU's defense has allowed 17 touchdowns on the year, and 14 of those touchdowns came on drives that started at the opponent's 30 or or further away from um, from the goal line. So it's not like TCU. You know, they've had a couple. They had a punt uh, fumbled against Texas. Max Duggan threw an interception. Um, they, they, uh, a pick six. And so they've had some field position issues, but generally the defense has just been lining up and they've getting, been getting run over 123rd in EPA per rush. They are 41st against the pass, but again, that's a selection issue like we talked about with North Texas the other day. Why would I... Why would I hate pass against this defense when I can run, when I can run for 200 plus yards like everyone has been able to do? Um, you look at Kennedy Brooks last week against Texas, it's a really robust rushing game for Oklahoma. Um, one thing that I think is really important to notice last week against Texas, uh, in the first half, Bajan Robinson for Texas had 12 yards or 12 rushes, 98 yards, 8.2 yards per attempt. In the second half, he had eight rushes, 39 yards, 4.8 yards per attempt. Oklahoma shifted Isaiah Thomas inside. 
uh, from the edge rusher position to kind of fill in uh, that 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 um, defensive tackle position, and that was absolutely disruptive. And and really, the run game went nowhere. So if they can shut down the the run game, um, you know, all bets are off as to what they can do against this TCU defense that's been really really poor, especially in the front seven uh, or front six rather, because they run a four two five. One thing I will note: um, speaking of little birdies, neither Zach Evans nor Max Duggan practiced yesterday. Um, there are some mind games going on uh, with Lincoln Riley and Gary Patterson. They both obviously respect each other very much. Um, but if Max Duggan and Zach Evans don't play, then I mean, I mean, we we remember you know 2015 uh, and Bram yeah. Kohlhausen and Foster Sawyer and everybody you know Kenny <laughs> Kenny Kenny Hill was out in 2017. This game's been weird. I expect it to be weird. It's a night game in Norman. Um, I'm not going to touch it because there is so much uncertainty with the coaches and because I do think that if Oklahoma looks like second half Oklahoma last week, they can steamroll anybody. That's kind of how I feel about it. We, a, by the way, good job on keeping that relatively short. I was short. proud of that. I had three things <laughs> I wanted to say. I got them out, and then I was like, yeah, yeah. That was good. That was good. I, I would tend to lean the over because I do think Oklahoma can put up a whole mess of points. Uh, and last week, it seemed to open up the floodgates. We'll see if it continues this week, but I don't feel strongly enough about it to make a play. So none of us is going to have an official play on this one but again, you, the viewers, we want to hear your thoughts on the game. If you would jump into the comments, leave your picks on the game. We will respond. We want to hear your opinions, and uh, and we will certainly give it right back to you. We got two more games that we want to hit before we get to the Q&A, so let's dive over to it. We got another SEC game, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. Ole Miss heads to Knoxville, and this line has come down a little bit. Ole Miss was favored by three. They are now favored by two and a half on the road total of 82 and a half it is the highest point total in sec history this is the first meeting between these two schools since 2014 i guess we can call it the manning bowl obviously eli went to Ole miss peyton went to tennessee uh there's a lot going on in this game uh tyon evans the running back josh heupel is optimistic that he's going to play everything seems to be good so far so we'll we'll see about that he has been a monster on the ground here lately for the vols Ole Miss two and six against the spread their last eight against the SEC. You wouldn't normally expect that with all the hype that's been around Ole Miss right now with Lane Kiffin. The offense is rolling, but the defense, while we thought it might have been improved this season early in the year, it turns out they just didn't really play anybody that could score. So now uh, the defense does not look very good. They've given up 42 and 51 in back-to-back weeks, and I would imagine Tennessee will have a ton of success in this spot. Uh, This is the return of Lane Kiffin to Knoxville. I mean, guys, this is the number two and number three pace teams in the country. Uh, They are going to play fast. There's going to be a lot of possessions. This will basically be a basketball game. It's going to be insane, and I can't wait to watch it. Uh, Tennessee's covered three of their last four. They beat South Carolina by 25. They beat Missouri by 38. Uh, Parker, we're going to start off with you on this one. This looks like it could be, as much as I love old man football, this could be an incredible, exciting football game on Saturday night. Yeah, you definitely wonder, you know, how much um, uh, emotional cachet do you have left over after that Arkansas game last week? Um, one thing I was kind of looking at, we, we, I was, I was pretty enthusiastic at seven and a half for uh, Ole Miss's win totals, and looking at what they have left, I would like this one to feel a little bit more comfortable about making sure we get to that number eight. 
Um, and so uh, I, I think Ole Miss really needs this one here. One thing I am really worried about is the defense here because they have given up 93 points in the last two games, and Tennessee's offense has come alive. So if you look at Tennessee's aggregate numbers um, on offense, they are um, 35th overall, really struggling against the pass, 81st, but they're 7th in the rush. Um, and, and so I think they've been really effective along the ground. Ole Miss, 124th in EPA per rush allowed on defense. Tennessee will be able to rush um, and, and kind of make Ole Miss pick their poison. The passing game's been a little bit better with, with um, Hooker as of late, so I expect a lot of points here. Um, did this this line move, this total move from 80.5 up to 82, which seems just absolutely crazy to me. Um, so, of course, we're going to get, you know, a nine to six game here where nobody crosses the 50 uh, <laughs> or something. But I really do think that Ole Miss's defense is the weakest unit on the field. But, the you know, if I'm looking for optimism in trying to take Ole Miss in this game, they're fifth in early downs EPA. Tennessee's defense is 22nd in early downs EPA. But if you go to late downs, Ole Miss is 33rd. Tennessee is 94th. So Ole Miss has so much. What's important about that is not so much where are they going to move the ball, but the freedom it gives Lane Kiffin to experiment and to be aggressive on early downs, knowing that Tennessee is really poor on third downs, that you can do a lot of drive extending by just cleaning up those third downs after you take a shot on, you know, second and four or whatever it is. So um, I I think both teams will absolutely score. I don't think there'll be a a ton of defense here. It'll be interesting to see what Heupel does kind of with the choice of run pass given their split, you know, 59.4 early downs rush rate. Um, will, will he rush more knowing that they're poor and try to slow the game down? Will he try and go step for step uh, as an offensive mind with Kiffin? I, I'm, I'm not uh, sure that I have a strong preference either way, but this one will be another fun game for, for Ole Miss. I expect another 40 plus point game from uh, Matt Corral and the Rebels this week. I tend to agree with you. Uh, Tennessee's defense has been surprising. 39.6% success rate on the season. That's excluding garbage time. Uh, I mean, they are the number 23 SP plus defense thus far. And now the schedule does play into that. Obviously Uh, you play Missouri and you play South Carolina and you play, you know, Tennessee tech or whatever it is. Uh, Obviously there's a lot to that, but they are, they are very surprising. I mean, they're sitting at five and two right now. This, the, the losses, Definitely stack up well. They lost on the road at Florida. They lost at home to a Pittsburgh team that is actually pretty good. So, Kyle, you know, give me your thoughts here. Uh, 82 and a half, while, <laughs> while that would be really high, uh, you're also, you, you split it in half. You're looking at 41 points apiece. I don't think that's crazy here. No, it's it's not crazy here. And I, I have to say first, if this game finishes nine to six, I'm gonna have to reevaluate a lot of things here. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna make me now, question. Now I'm a just lot. actively rooting for chaos and a huge under <laughs> in this game. <laughs> oh come on, Parker. No, I mean, honestly, uh, you know, it scares me a bit. I think that's why I'm kind of frozen up here to take an over 82 and a half. Having said that, I do like the over here. And and one thing to keep in mind is that these low totals taking the under and the really high totals taking the over, as I said before the season, there's kind of a bell curve that most games land on. It's hard for odds makers to set a total on a game that's so far to the extreme. So these actually have done pretty well when you take the really high overs and the low unders. It makes sense to me in the long run. And uh, second and third and pace of play, like Gary said here, hard to overstate how much better Hendon Hooker is than Milton in this Tennessee offense. Uh, Just very, very good. Um, Even against South Carolina last week, 45 points and 38 of them at halftime. So, I mean, they completely let off the gas in that game. 6.6 yards per play. 
South Carolina offense is bad, but the defense is actually pretty good. Um, Tennessee put up 62 points against Missouri uh, the week before. Obviously, we know Missouri has plenty of problems. Uh, Matt Corral has been fantastic all year. He had that one bad half against Alabama, I would say, but in general, they've been really good. The Ole Miss offensive line has dominated in just about every game outside of the Alabama game so far this year. Tennessee ranks 71st in pass rush grade. Uh, I think Ole Miss is going to have time to throw here. Um, Ole Miss scored 52 points or more in three games already this year. So they've already shown that they can do this. They play extremely fast. They're going to do that again. I don't think either of these teams have it in their DNA to slow down the tempo. You know, Hypo is all about trying to push, push. And I, I know Kiffin's not going to slow down. So it would surprise me if either of these teams do that. Ole Miss has allowed 6.67 yards per play in their two SEC games so far this year. That was Bama and Arkansas. Um, Ole Miss is 93rd in PFF rushing grade on defense. I think Tennessee will bust some big plays in the running game here, definitely. Um, you know, Hooker can create plays when it looks like there's almost nothing there. This one was 79 and a half earlier in the week, so I hate that it's moved the three points up. But I'm taking the over even at this level. I think this is the highest SEC total ever for a very good reason. I expect a really fun game. This is a must-see TV here. I'll take the over. At the ESPN Manning cast? It totally should have been on for this one, Absolutely. for sure, because it's it's going to be fireworks, absolute fireworks. Uh, jumping into the chat, Heath Harrelson said this game's going to go over 100. Uh, Steven said, I see mega points in this game. Uh, Mark Holmes said, always play the highest total on the board over. Yeah, I, I tend to go with that. And Steven said, I'll go over in this game as well. Uh, yeah, I, I tend to agree. The number scares me, so I'm not going to play it personally. But let's make it an official play here for Kyle. He is going over. The 82 and a half, and I like it. I like it. I mean, like I said, you split that point total in half. It's 41 for each team. I think both of these are going to go over 40. This could absolutely be uh, a replica of last week with Ole Miss and Arkansas where they both went over 50. So it would not surprise me in the slightest. We got one more game. Let's go ahead and hit that thing. Uh, we got 53 people watching, only 20 likes. So you guys go ahead and hit that like button for us. Arizona State is heading to Utah and Arizona State is a one-point favorite here. 50-and-a-half is the total. Utah won this game in 2019. They did not get to play last year. Obviously, it was a shortened season for the Pac-12. Utah 21, Arizona State 3 two years ago. Arizona State 2-5 and five against the spread of their last seven against Utah, uh, but they have won and covered two of the last three in the, in the series here. Both teams lost at BYU this year. But Arizona State has performed better since. It looks like they have kind of gotten to be a dominant football team. And yet, at the same, you know, at the same time, Utah has played really well since losing to San Diego State. They have made a change at quarterback. Cam Rising, of course, the new quarterback. Arizona State is averaging 0.6 points per play in their last three games. And they are only giving up 0.208. Like, the, Utah is not close to that, but Utah is still playing pretty well. I wonder how much the, the night home atmosphere matters. Arizona State's biggest problem early in the season was mistakes costing them. They they were making mistakes all over the field, a ton of penalties, et cetera. They, uh, they averaged 8.2 penalties per game. Utah, uh, just a little under four and a half. You know, Kyle, I'll start with you on this. We both liked Utah last week uh, to cover against USC. I... I don't know that I feel the same in this situation, even at home, because this is just a completely different type of matchup here. What do you think about the Sun Devils and the Utes here? 
So on each side of this, I, I still think Arizona State is the best team in the Pac-12. Um, I do worry some about this game, though. Salt Lake City is a really tough place to play. Altitude, very raucous environment. Whittingham can really coach, too. I, I don't like going against them very often. They blew away USC last week. Uh, Utah is capable of getting hot, although um, this isn't USC. You know, Arizona State is a much better team. If you just look at numbers here, I know Parker's going to give us a lot of great numbers. Arizona State definitely looks like the play in this game. The thing that worries me is I think there's just such a big home field advantage for Utah in a spot like this. You know, most of the games, you're not going to give a big HFA. This is one where you need to, because I think this is a great environment for football. Cam Rising and the Utes offense have certainly looked a lot better. They've taken more chances downfield. That's helped them quite a bit. Arizona State 16th in yards per play on defense and 23rd in success rate allowed. Can Utah keep up their offensive success? I'm not sure that they can. Um, I don't have any strong lean on this one, so I'm going to pass this one along to to Parker. I I, I want to take Arizona State in general because I think they're a very good team. I guess I don't know still what Jaden Daniels is, and I'm curious Parker's take on that too because uh, Jaden Daniels uh, can be very good. He can also sometimes look like a liability. Uh, the team around him is very good. Uh, Utah's defense really hasn't been very good this season, surprisingly. So I would think Arizona State can score points. So the question is, can Utah here? I'm going to pass on this one. Now, this feels like a very old man football game for me. Uh, you guys know how much I love those types of games. But at the same time, like these offenses have the ability uh, to not just be physical, but they can also throw the ball down the field, et cetera. They don't do it a ton, but Utah's kind of changed up how they're playing. It's a, it's a little more balanced now. Uh, Parker, you know, give me give me some numbers here. These are two very physical football teams. Is it just a matter of, you know, who wins the line of scrimmage? Is that basically it? Well, I think there's two factors that really um, are, are interesting to me in this game. One, like Kyle mentioned, going to Utah is hard. That's a 3,000-foot elevation gain from Tempe for, for Arizona. Um, they did get to play on Friday night. They have an extra game, uh, extra day of, of rest, uh, Arizona State did. And so, so that helps a little bit. But I think the other factor that kind of plays into this for me is Arizona State, I think, is getting severely uh, undermeasured and underappreciated by the numbers. So, for instance, last week against Stanford, they went up three to nothing. Uh, no, excuse me. In their first three drives, they went up 21 to nothing. Um, and they basically turned on the Jets. After that point, they ran on 70% of first and second downs. They just said, we're fine. We don't need to do anymore. We know we're going to win. And, you know, they they pick six and uh, I mean, they picked, they, they, they had a pick six against Stanford, but they also picked off McKee, I think three other times. And so I, I think that some of these aggregate stats, that's not garbage time, but Arizona state and Herm Edwards are treating it like it's garbage time. Is that resting up knowing that they're going to go to Utah in a really hard, physically demanding game next week? Is that saying, all we want to do is win. We don't care about anything else. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think that they're really good. And I think Jaden Daniels is, is, I'm leaning towards him being really good. He had a total EPA of 4.5 in the game last year, uh, last week in the in the air, but 8.1 total EPA on those first couple drives, and then negative EPA for the rest of the game through the air because they were just you know getting rid of the ball. It was third down. They're trying stuff, and so I, I think that I do like Utah with home field advantage. But my line here is so big because I think Arizona State is being underappreciated that I'm gonna I'm gonna lean towards Arizona State. Uh, two stats that really stick out to me: um, one, 
On offense, driven a lot by Jaden Daniels' scrambling ability, Arizona State is 8th in EPA per rush at 0.214. Utah is 50th in EPA per rush defense. Um, and so I see a mismatch in that aspect, even though the passing offenses are, uh, offense and defense are both aligned there. On the Utah side of the ball, Utah on offense, 83rd against the pass, or 83rd in passing EPA. Arizona State is 25th. Um, and then... Uh, in early downs EPA, Utah is 77th. Arizona State's defense is 24th. They're super aggressive early. And finally, in third and fourth down success, Utah is 105th. Arizona State is 67th. So I think that Arizona State's defense is going to be the dominant unit in this game. Uh, and that'll be the decisive factor for me because I don't think that uh, Utah will stop Arizona State from scoring. And I don't think that Utah will be able to score very well at all. So I'm going to take Arizona State here. Um, I saw this some places as a pick maybe even uh, Arizona State minus 0.5. But I would take this up to the field goal. Maybe the field goal hook would scare me off, but I would take this up to a field goal. The field goal is actually where my line was on this. Arizona State minus three. Uh, I, I tend to agree. I'm not going to make it a play because I'm scared of Salt Lake City. So, so let's make it an official play. For Parker, uh, Arizona State minus three. I mean minus one. Excuse me. Let's let's not let's not make this too difficult for Parker to be able to cover here. Uh, yes, Arizona State minus one here. I I'm with you. I'm with you. I do think they are the better team. This is basically for the Pac-12 South. Let's uh, let's roll with the Sun Devils. I like it. All right, we have got some questions in the chat, so let's go ahead and dive in. Uh, there was one from yesterday: BYU and Baylor. Baylor, a five-point favorite right now, I do believe. Um, and this one, of course, at home. I don't know that Baylor is five points better than BYU, but we did see last week that when BYU has mistakes, they are not one of the ten best teams in the country. So Baylor is uh, is unranked, and BYU is the ranked team here. But I would have to assume uh, – guys, we talked about this beforehand. Parker – let me get you in on it. Grimes is, is just putting on a clinic right now of exactly what to do with an offense, and that is basically play to what they can do and don't worry about what they can't do. And it, it seems to work out thus far. I don't know that BYU can stop what Baylor's doing right now. Yeah, so so Jerry Bohannon, the Baylor quarterback, um, I, I don't think there's any stretch of the imagination where I would say that he is um, an excellent quarterback, but he is very good. He is quietly very competent. Baylor has designed an offense for him that's just um, uh, amazing. 44.8% of dropbacks use play action. That's third in the Big 12. His uh, completion percentage on play action is 10 percentage points higher than it is without play action, which is uh, the the biggest gap in the Big 12 by almost three percentage points. So they're really speaking to his strength. I do think that there's an issue with trust. He is young. Um, you look at the Iowa State game or, and the Oklahoma State game. In, in key moments, Baylor really went to the run. Uh, granted, they have good running backs in Abraham Smith and, and Tristan Ebner, but they really don't trust um, – uh, they really don't trust Bohannon, uh, and and that kind of comes into the stat where he doesn't have a turnover-worthy play, and he has no interceptions. Um, that's because he's not being asked to make reads where he might throw into a turnover-worthy play or an interception. So that issue of trust is really interesting to me. Um, I do think that uh, BYU's Tyler Algier, the running back, is one of the best running backs in the in the group of five, if not in the FBS. And so even though their EPA per rush is is only 59th. Baylor's EPA per rush on defense is 71st. And while they have some disruptive guys up front, I think BYU will be able to create some value on the ground here. I would lean towards Baylor covering. My nine, ha uh, my line 
is is close to Baylor plus nine. Um, but I do think that the familiar familiarity with Grimes um, will kind of go both ways. I expect both defenses to play a lot better um, than they have this season. Uh, and and so I would I would lean towards Baylor covering, but it wouldn't surprise me if if BYU made this a, a, a rock fight. And this uh, the line, by the way, is out to six and a half. It was five uh, last night. So there's a lot of money, a lot of tickets coming in on Baylor right now. It looks like if this thing gets up to seven, I would I would certainly look at buying back into BYU because I just think yeah I think it will be a rock fight. Like I think that this is a close ball game. So. Uh, we'll uh, we'll see about that. Let's dive into some of these other ones. Robert S. asked uh, quite a few. Of course, we appreciate all of our chatters in here. Mark, Secret Machines, Robert, Gary T., Heath, et cetera, the polo. Um, let's dive into Robert's first one, NC State and Boston College. Uh, this one is very interesting. If I'm not mistaken, this was uh, – here it is. It is three right now, and that is exactly where my line was on it. Uh, it opened at two. It is now going the other direction. Uh, Kyle – I tend to like NC State's defense quite a bit here. We have figured out what Boston College can and cannot do with Dennis Grossell. I think there was a lot of uh, a lot of guesswork early on, but we we know how bad the Missouri defense is. The fact that they scored 41 on them in overtime, I don't know how much stock you put into that with that offense. I think that they are severely limited without their starting quarterback. I'm I'm going to roll Wolfpack here, even even though it says minus three and my line is three. I, I kind of feel good about the Wolfpack here. I'm not going to make it an official play, but Kyle, uh, how do you feel about this one? Yeah, I had this one at four, so uh, still pretty close to the line. Um, I like NC State in general. I think their their defense should do well here, and if I had to bet the total, I'd bet the under 52 as well, uh, thinking that BC likely not extremely um, successful on offense, but BC's defense is at least well coached. So um, NC State minus the points here. At three is, is my lean and under as well. This one also is one that you want to watch the weather on. Uh, just kind of a PSA. There's a lot of weather games this weekend. So um, that's something that can be pretty profitable if you pay attention to it. No, that certainly makes sense. Uh, Steven jumps in. Opinion on the UCLA-Washington game. Uh, that one, as it sits, Washington a one-and-a-half point favorite. Total of 54-and-a-half. Uh, I don't have a lean on this. Washington is... It, They've been okay at stopping the run and in some instances, especially at home. Obviously, they were not able to stop the run against Michigan uh, or against Oregon State, for that matter. Um, but for whatever reason, I just I feel like the line kind of stinks. So I would, I would roll Washington there, but I don't feel good about it. I'm not going to make a play on it. Uh, Parker, you got any ideas on, on UCLA and Washington? This one makes me nervous because you get almost this perfect uh, symmetry where – on offense, UCLA is 21st in EPA per pass. Wisconsin, uh, Washington is 12th in EPA per pass defense. But against the rush, UCLA is 30th and Washington is 104th. And so you're going to mismatch there. I think UCLA will try and run a lot. But the other way, uh, Washington's passing offense is 49th in EPA. UCLA's passing defense, 103rd. Um, and so I really think that Washington will try and air it out. UCLA will try and stay on the ground. Those are different than kind of what they've been doing generally. And so when you have a change in style like that, that's um, th this is hard because I think aggregate statistics really punish Washington for early season stuff where they were bad. They figured things out a little bit. And I do think they have a passing offense that at least has a um, – has a pulse, and so uh, I, I would I I would lean towards Washington at home, but this one's a real toss-up for me. 
Uh, we did have a question. to Buffalo against Ohio plus nine and a half. I, I think it, so. The line is actually nine right now, and this will be uh, this will be the last one before we get out of here, and we'll knock out our recap, all that good stuff. But Ohio as a nine point dog on the road. It's an early game. Uh, we did not hit this one yesterday. Kyle, let me let me get you in here for this one because we we've kind of we've both touched on Buffalo and Ohio a little bit this season. I Ohio is not very good, but Buffalo seems to uh, they're they're not very good either. But they let bad teams hang around, and they tend to hang around with good teams. So I don't know what to make of either of these. Nine seems like a lot, but it may not be considering the fact that Ohio has just not played up to the level that they usually do after Frank Solich retired. Yeah, uh, you know, in general, I would want to take the points here in a game like this, but I don't trust Ohio now. The way they've been playing is just so weak. I think this drop-off from last year to this year is just far more dramatic than anybody would have expected. I think both teams run the ball a lot here in this one. Um, 58% of the bets on Ohio so far, but 69% of the money on Buffalo. Um, take of that what you may, but I, I I think if I had to bet a side here, I would bet Buffalo. I just don't trust Ohio to stop the running game, and Ohio offensively is totally one-dimensional. You know, they haven't been able to throw the ball at all. They're not even great at running like they used to be, so I'm going to lean Buffalo here. I'd, I I would say that I like that, and, and theoretically— Yes, it makes sense, but I, I I can't touch other side. I can't do it. I can't do it. Uh, the total 57, I, I, I don't even know what to do with that. Like, this is a game I have no idea on. These two teams are so inconsistent. Um, let, let's, let's get out of this Q&A. We appreciate all of you guys tossing in the questions. Obviously, you can hit us up on Twitter, etc., if you would like to talk more or just jump into the comments. That is uh, the easiest way to do it. If you have more questions on more games, we will be diving into the comments on the YouTube. So check in with those. Here's the recap for this show. And of course, you can go back to Wednesdays for the early slate and get those as well. We're going to start with Parker taking Western Kentucky minus 12 and a half. He's taking Alabama minus 17 and a half in Starkville. And he's got Arizona State on the road minus one against Utah. Uh, I like I like all of them. I I'm riding Florida, minus 11.5 in Baton Rouge, and I'm taking Western Kentucky, minus 12.5 at Old Dominion. Kyle is going to take the under in Iowa-Purdue, 42.5 there. Uh, he is also taking Alabama in Starkville, minus 17.5, and, and he also has Ole Miss in the over, 82.5 uh, against Tennessee. So a, a lot of points expected in that game, and Kyle is going to roll with it. Gentlemen, what a fantastic weekend of football we have coming up. This is going to be... A lot of fun, a lot of exciting games. Maybe not the the blockbuster game uh, that we've had most weeks leading up to this, but a lot of interesting football, and I cannot wait to get there. Let me go ahead and remind everybody, subscribe to the channel. If you would, go ahead and hit that like button for us. There's a lot more people watching than have actually hit the like button, and that like button helps us out big time. It's a free show. We, uh, we spend a lot of time prepping. We spend a lot of time doing it. So do us a favor and hit that like button for sure. Subscribe to the YouTube page. And, of course, there is the podcast as well. If you want to listen to it in audio form, you can go subscribe on any of your favorite podcast apps. So go ahead and check that out as well. Uh, share out the show. Jump into the comments with your picks and your opinions or games that you want to know about because we will be monitoring. We will go in and give you our thoughts on it as well. Also, I said it at the beginning of the show. I'm going to say it again. Sign up at BetUS, where the game begins. 
There's a link in the description, but you can use the promo code NCAAF2021 to get you a 125% sign-up bonus. That is up to $2,500, and it is sportsbook exclusive. It's not for casino or any of that other stuff. It is so that you can gamble on football games. So go ahead and knock that out. Also, check out all of our other shows. We've got an NBA show now. We've got an NHL show now. We've got all kinds of stuff coming down the pipe. So go ahead and make sure that you are subscribed here and on the BetUS official channel. With that said, gentlemen, what a fantastic weekend. I cannot wait for it, but I am more excited about coming back here and talking to you guys again next week. With that said, for BetUS and the College Football Show, we'll see you all again next Wednesday. Fleming will break down the games live every Wednesday and Thursday on our BetUS College Football YouTube channel. Subscribe, hit that bell now, and never miss a show. BetUS, where the game begins.